Welcome to the podcast, How to Run and Grow Your Solo Patent Practice with Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid of Sagacious IP. This is a one-of-its-kind podcast focused on existing and aspiring solo or small patent practitioners. Interviewing successful solo or small patent practitioners and bringing to you proven, actionable insights to start, build, and grow your patent practice. Learn firsthand how to acquire, serve, and retain clients for long-term success. All this while effectively juggling the multiple roles that one has to play as a solo or small patent practitioner. If you run a solo or small patent practice or are planning to start one, whether you're currently in a mid-size or big law firm or coming fresh out of law school, this podcast series will help you learn from the successful ones who have faced and overcome the challenges you are dealing with. So let's get into the podcast with your hosts, Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid. Welcome to today's episode of How to Run and Grow a Solo Patent Practice. Our guest for today is David Oppenheisen, who runs a successful solo patent practice at Grand Rapids, Michigan. We are so excited to have him here with us. So let's take forward the conversation with him and learn from his experiences on how to run and grow a solo patent practice. David, very warm welcome to this episode today. Thank you. Definitely my pleasure to be here. I'm happy to be speaking with you guys. Great. Uh, so David, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, would you like to please tell a bit about Oppenheisen Law, how you came into existence and you know your story? Sure. So I started practicing law in 2007 and I started out at a, at a small law firm, partially with the intention in mind of being in a small practice, I could establish good and close client relationships with the idea that maybe I could even spin that into my own practice or uh, buy out the existing practice of where I was working. In 2014, I decided to kind of venture out on my own. And I did actually, I, I left the, the firm where I was at and I partnered up with another attorney who was an older gentleman. And the idea was for the two of us to join practices, but that was sort of short-lived it worked out well for me at that point to buy out his practice and combine that with what practice that I had already uh, put together over the previous seven years. And at that point, I was running on my own as a sole practitioner. So it's been two, since 2014 that I've been doing that. And it's taken some time to get up and running. Those first few years were certainly uh, a struggle. You know, there were, there were challenges, but um, it's really fulfilling. Uh, and there's no other way that I could imagine practicing law at this point. Great, great. That's that's quite interesting. So one quick question here, Dave, is your practice primarily patents or is it the other forms of IP as well? Sure. I would say that my practice is primarily split between patent prosecution and trademarks. Trademark uh, prosecution as well, I suppose, if that's a, a thing, or trademark registration. But primarily between patents and trademarks, with a little bit of copyright thrown in as well, although not a large part of IP attorney's practice. Right. So, uh, David, when we actually uh, see solo practices, uh, of course, these are independent practices and run independently. But then, of course, to do a job, you need a team. And what kind of uh, structure do you follow at your uh, organization in terms of, uh, do you work more with partners, internals, externals, part-timers, how, how you structure? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And I, uh, I'm, I'm quite independent. I primarily do everything myself from marketing, accounting, 
billing. I've got some software that I rely on very heavily to kind of um, semi-automate a lot of my routine monitoring of dates, letter generation, and things of that nature. That's critical to my practice. For some of the other things, I obviously rely on uh, vendors to help out with uh, patent drawings, with patent searches. I've got some software that allows me to do trademark searches on my own, which is, uh, you know, locating all of these things has been one of the challenges, I suppose. And then I also do rely on some outsourcing of various paralegal type of work for drafting documents when that kind of is needed. That's become a, a big part of my practice over the last couple of years, I would say. So Dave, this is quite, quite interesting to learn how you are running this practice primarily. I mean, it's like, as the word says, solo, you're juggling a lot of activities and it's great to know that there are tools and uh, service providers outside that able to support you in this and help you run this successfully. How has this working in a solo practice, how has it been different from working in the firm that you were at? Um, you, you did tell us briefly about it, but how has it impacted like your, your work-life balance, uh, your, your general state of being and overall, like you mentioned, it's probably the only the best way you imagine doing it but we'd like to you know know more about it i'm sure there are people who are listening to this podcast who are on the verge of making a decision and they'd like to know how the life will be if they make this choice sure it's very busy but it's also very fulfilling my life now versus when i was working in a in another firm you know i i think it's harder for me to find vacation time now to take off a more extended period of time that's definitely a challenge because there's nobody that I can rely on in my office to cover for me while I'm gone. But at the same time, psychologically, it's very beneficial. I can arrange things as I need to, and I can carve time out of my schedule to take care of the personal things that I want to or that I need to, especially as you know, if you've got a family, that that's something that's really important. Also, it's easier for me to put in additional long hours. And it, it just, I mean, obviously putting that time in is takes time and, it, and can be demanding. Uh, but at the same time, it's not, it feels different than if I'm working for somebody else. It's not like psychologically taxing on me to be putting in really long hours if I know that the end benefit is that I'm establishing and I'm strengthening my relationship with my client and I'm doing good work for them and they're going to look to me. I'm the one benefiting from it. And then when the check comes in, it's, you know, in the name of my practice and it's all me. So it's easier for me to be putting in long hours and it's rewarding. I think at the end of the day, it's just a lot more rewarding to be working for yourself. Uh, so I don't mind putting in the long hours. Yeah, that's very inspiring, Dave, uh, to hear that statement when the check arrives, uh, you know, it's all me. It, it's a lot of work, uh, we can imagine, that goes in to bring that check. And I just want to step back a bit here. And, you know, right now you, of course, will look in hindsight uh, to where you started this business. And we know that, you know, whenever you start a business, especially which is bootstrapped, there are limits to the resources that you can deploy, you know, when especially when you're selling the services or delivering whatever you promise to, to the customer. So what were the top three challenges for you as an independent solo IP practitioner that you faced uh, when you started the practice? That's a that's a tough uh, question to answer because 
to figure, you know, there, there's so many different challenges and it's hard to pick out uh, the top ones. But the, the one that's, I guess, pretty obvious and clear uh, above all else is just obtaining enough clients as quickly as you can early on in the process to become, you know, self-sustaining. Uh, whether you've got a, uh, a spouse or a significant other that is helping support your family, that's obviously a question of whether how much time you have to get up and running. But there's something to be said also about having a, enough pressure on yourself that you're leaving no option for failure. <laughs> that kind of stress can uh, really make you perform exceptionally if you have to. So I think that you know definitely definitely the the, the most important thing is the obvious answer of having to, to you know generating enough client base to take care of everything and uh, so you can support yourself and your family looking beyond that the the next thing would be just like a whole a whole group of all the other non-billable tasks that you have to take care of and, and do and my philosophy has been to do as many of those on my own as I can so that I can control the quality of the work and also keep costs down. And I guess what I'm talking about is things like developing a website. I do my own accounting, finding the software to do the accounting, you know, uh, setting up uh, the docketing software. Uh, there's so much so much administrative work up front in the first couple of years of setting up a practice that's really taxing on you setting up all the different uh, routine reminder letters for clients and setting up systems for when you you know uh, you, you got to have a system in place for knowing when to set send those letters how to automatically generate that stuff so that uh, you don't, uh, otherwise you'll come in and if, you know, you could work a 10 hour day and find that six hours of that are eaten up by just being your own secretary. So you've got to get a handle on being efficient with those things. Mm, if I yes. were to maybe find a third, I would say maybe uh, marketing. Marketing is a challenge. That's basically uh, the same thing as the first answer, but I guess maybe just reinforces how important that first one really is. And it's obvious, but it's it's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Dave, when you when you look back, you know, now that you've been through that phase and you've uh, you know been through the teething problems, established a practice. If you know, what would be your suggestions to the Dave of 2014? What mistakes can that Dave avoid if you were to guide him right now? In, in the setting up phase? I don't know. It's uh, everything has seemed to work out the way that I ultimately wanted it to, but it was harder to get here than I thought it was going to be. Um, everything was, was a struggle, <laughs> but it's, but looking back, I don't know that I would have or could have changed anything. There were two sort mm. of critical moves that I made and uh, bless my wife for letting me do these. But one of them was when I decided to, to leave the other practice that I worked at in 2007. And then the other one kind of coincided with that. And it was the decision to, to find this for the ability to find this other attorney to pair up with. That was a struggle because he was towards the tail end of his career. And he was not really in a position to be working much longer. And I'll just suffice it to say, 
It's a great idea if you can find an attorney who's in the process of retiring and to buy their practice out. But the mm-hmm. problem with that is that there aren't any attorneys out there that actually want to do that because <laughs> a lot of them um, either aren't able to retire or they don't want to retire. Locating somebody who you can actually pull that off with uh, is a challenge. And it was very difficult, to say the least, to make that transition. But that was a critical thing with setting up my practice was locating a person who I could do that with. I know that wasn't what you asked, but <laughs> hopefully that it was, is helpful, though. <laughs> it, it is, it is, it is indeed. Yeah, I'm actually taking notes of what you're saying because these points are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Fez, uh, over to you for the next one. Yeah, sorry for popping in. No, no, it's it's anyway. So I, I think uh, Dave, uh, what would like to do for the next segment? is uh, really pick one of these challenges that you that you shared. And I, I think uh, from the looks of it, it seems that you have really quite a bit of, to share about how do someone uh, generate business? You know, how do we acquire customers? Uh, essentially, in a professional practice, you would have these two parts of the story, right? One is getting the business. The other is delivering that to the client to their satisfaction. And uh, probably uh, we would like to talk a bit more in depth on on this part of uh, generating the business, acquiring the customer. Um, so at Open Heisen uh, Law, um, were you following a specific approach or strategy to generate business? You start with a clear thing in mind. Okay, this is how I'm going to get my clients. I, I try to diversify uh, not only my client base, but I try to diversify the sources of client leads as much as I can, because I don't want to put too many eggs in any given basket. Um, so it's the things that I do to generate work, uh, I would say probably, obviously, I think we may talk about it later on here, but um, the, the biggest source of uh, new work is just work from existing clients. Um, that's not particularly helpful for somebody who's doesn't have the existing clients to begin with. But looking beyond that, I would say one, one source of uh, new clients that I learned early on in my career is, and it's especially helpful for somebody who's in a, a niche practice like intellectual property, uh, but it's to network with other attorneys that you know, and specifically getting to know other attorneys in other who practice in other areas of the law, developing like a sort of a referral network around you. People, it's not only, it's a reciprocal situation. You know, not only do you have, you want to be able to refer your clients to somebody else and have it be a competent and reputable attorney who can take care of your clients in some other matter that you don't, aren't able to handle. But at the same time, you can get some pretty good client referrals back to you. And those are often high quality clients, you know, if you will. Sometimes they're, you know, smaller businesses or startup companies, people, but, or, or, you know, clients who they know what they're doing. They're not sort of dabbling around with things. um, And they're pretty serious about moving things forward. And they've got some some legal work that needs to get done and they understand the economics of it. So um, those are good. That's, that's probably the, the single best uh, new client source that I have found is those attorney referrals. And it's just a matter of maintaining 
relationships with other attorneys, and it becomes an easy thing uh, as you actually you know, start uh, establishing some you know sort of professional working relationships and friendships with uh, people. So another thing that I've found is uh, having a quality uh, website. That's kind of a double-edged sword because sometimes you start having the the phone ringing and you get a lot of, as I say, you know, like tire kickers, people who are just kind of trying to pick your brain on stuff. But you can uh, definitely get some good good new client leads by having a, a, a solid website. <laughs> as, as you know, just trying to that that's a that's a whole nother podcast series in and of itself, right there. <laughs> yeah, right. So, Dave, in in your practice, uh, like as we experience, and as probably most of the businesses where. Uh, where you know the same entity is involved in bringing work and delivering work, it kind of happens that when you were busy bringing in work, and then there was enough work for you to start delivering, but when you're delivering it, you're not actively focusing on new business development. So when this part of work is done, there might be a phase where there is no work, or you have to, you know, get into the pure play BD mode again, where there's no revenue being generated or no income coming in but there is you know there's a phase where you're generating that business and then there will be a phase which will be again delivering that business or there could be other reasons due to which there is there are phases where there's uh, not enough work coming in so have have you experienced something like that in in your practice as well yeah i suppose i have i mean there's for me i think it seems like it's maybe more seasonal in terms of highs and lows with work coming in, but it's definitely a struggle to maintain both of those things. My personal approach has been when I've got a lot of uh, work that needs to be done, I try to focus primarily on getting that work done and doing a good job with that, keeping clients happy with that and doing good work for Mm -hmm. them. And if in the short term, the, the, you know, marketing suffers, then, I mean, I guess it is what it is, but I've got to, at the end of the day, I feel like if I'm doing good work that hopefully my reputation will over the long haul, start doing some marketing for me. And I think I've found that to be true. I have gotten some referrals from other attorneys. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, quite frankly, and I don't even know who they are. <laughs> so that's going to be a good sign, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this is good. And what's your approach when you uh, go after getting new clients, onboarding new customers, clients who, who are looking to work with you? Of course, you have an existing set of clients and you uh, your first preference would be to serve them. But I'm sure there are moments when you also look forward to hire, get new customers on board. Uh, what approaches in the past have worked best for you in reaching out to them and, and converting them? I guess not to not to circle back to it too much, but some of the new clients, new client sources for quality, like real quality clients, mm-hmm. um, have come from those attorney referrals whether it's a conflict of interest from another attorney in the same practice area as me or another attorney in a different practice area. But those are, those are really where I have found that the best sources of new client work has come from. 
Dave, another challenge, which which is not a very big challenge, but we've still had these questions, is how do you track the customers or the potential leads that you might have? At times you get a lead, but it's probably not, it, it doesn't stay active for so long. So you have to kind of circle back to them. So is, is there some yeah. structure that you follow to maintain those leads and uh, and keep following up? Or is it is it very organic through the email system itself? Um, it is a pretty organic situation, I would say. Sometimes I've, one thing that I do just, uh, just within my office is I've, uh, and I found this to be pretty helpful, is I've got a, a whiteboard set up right next to my desk and I keep, a, keep track of a number of things on there. And, you know, one of which is potential clients that are out there that, so I'll just kind of keep an eye on that. I, I make sure that I'm not bugging people too much. <laughs> if, you know, if they reach out to me, I would, I may wait like a week or two before getting back to them. If I'm, if, if something is in their court, I don't want to push people. I figure at the same time, if it's something that they really want to do, then they'll, then they'll follow up with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, typically they haven't, if they've come to me in the first place with some questions, then they typically don't end up going somewhere else. So I don't have a formal system for that, but I just try to take more of a casual approach. Okay. This is, this is actually good to know. So, so it's easier to maintain the relationships, uh, organically. You don't actually need to invest into a big system. Uh, you don't need uh, frequent follow-ups as long as you're delivering good good work and maintaining good relationships it's it's easier to just keep track with whatever simple systems work work for you like you mentioned whiteboard in this case or uh, or some other simple system okay that's that's actually quite useful they would like to know in your experience you know if, if you could recall uh, a particular client win or client acquisition which was very simple or which was very challenging you know it's, yeah. it's good to have those experiences I guess I what I would say is when you're first starting up it's it's very rare <laughs> if you're able to to get a new client uh, that that comes easily um, I don't <laughs> during the first maybe two or three years I don't know if there was a single one that came very easily maybe I, I guess as I say that maybe there's a there there was one uh, where I had an, uh, a very good existing relationship with another attorney in my same practice area and it was a quality client and they reached out to that attorney uh, for some legal help but there was that attorney had a clear conflict of interest because of, uh, well, I mean, at that point, that, that potential client for him was a clear competitor with a client that he already had. Um, so he referred them over to me because of the relationship that I had with that attorney. And I mean, I think that that was, that was probably, that, that came fairly easily to me at that point, only because of that relationship that I had with that other attorney. As far as difficulties getting clients, that's that is probably par for the course. It's just those, but I will say that as I have found that as time goes on and I continue to try and re- reinforce my relationships with other attorneys and try to you know sort of build my reputation within the region where I practice, that it, it does slowly get easier and easier to 
you know, generate those quality client leads. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a process that you could measure by, you know, five or 10 years at a time. It's a, it's a long process for sure. Right. So challenging times ahead for, <laughs> for new starters. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you talked about existing business uh, from repeat, uh, I mean, repeat business from existing customers uh, being the primary source of revenue. And you also talked about, uh, you know, the, your focus on, on the quality of work and letting your work talk more and convince those customers to come back to you. Have you made any other efforts aside from, you know, ensuring the quality of work and delivering to the best of your abilities on that front? Are you also engaging any other activities that you usually try to do once a month or, or annually to, to engage with existing customers and ensuring that, okay, they stay with you, you retain them and they engage with you properly? I guess, and I don't know, this may not be the kind of the answer that exactly what you're um, asking about. But one thing I guess I found is as my practice has grown and I don't know, sort of the general quality of my clientele has been gotten better and better, it's become more and more important for me to be able to juggle all the different clients, turn work around for them in a timely manner and quality work at that. Becoming more and more efficient with my time has become critical. Certainly handling the administrative stuff, I've had to really fine-tune that and get that kind of down to a science. But just in terms of getting the work done, it has become critical over the last couple of years for me to have people that I can outsource some of the work to who you know I know are going to do quality work for competitive prices and be able to turn it around at a fast pace um, because I just don't have time to get everything done. And uh, it allows me to be able to act more like in a supervisory type of role. And uh, I just simply don't have time to, to do everything anymore. Uh, so having people who can really do a lot of the legwork for me and then have me just review it, that's, that's really helpful. Finding those people is it's certainly important. Um, and whether it's, you know, paralegals or other attorneys or whatever the case may be. But that's been uh, that's been important for me to find people who can help out with that type of thing. David, it was, uh, it was good, you know, learning more about your practice and, and the kind of challenges you've faced and how you've solved them. So there are so many uh, interesting things that I've, you know, I could just capture from what you said. One of, the, one of the main things I saw is that anyone who's starting their own practice, they need to understand that there's going to be an initial struggle, irrespective of where you're starting it from. There's going to be times when one sees at the end of the day that majority of the time went into administrative tasks or secretary-level work and non-billable work, but that's just a phase. And, and still, uh, you got to bear through it, and then it'll be a good fruits for you, practice will grow and develop, and that's what's going to happen. And and then the next next point, which is quite interesting, is is to keep your client sets as well as the sources of your clients diversified, not just focusing on one source of clients. It's always good to be able to uh, have work flowing in from one area when the one source stops. For the new clients you mentioned, the best source for new clients is for you, it's been the referrals from the network that you've maintained with attorneys, lawyers who are practicing in other areas of law. 
And I think the the best advice here, which I saw, and probably the others who are already married have spouses or partners would understand that having a having a supportive spouse is going to help you get through the struggle phases, which will definitely have to go through. Uh, Dave, may I ask that if our listeners here who who listen to this podcast they want to contact you, what would be the best way for them to do that? I think if if anybody wanted to reach out to me, probably a good starting point would be my website, which is openheisen.com, which is O-P-P-E-N-H-U-I-Z-E-N.com. Otherwise, uh, my email, always a good way to, to contact me, and my email address is just simply david at openheisen.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dave. It was great having you here. And we wish you all the best with, with your practice. And we look forward to probably having you here again to answer some more questions for our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you guys reaching out to ask me to help out with this. And uh, I've enjoyed doing this. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast, How to Run and Grow Your Solo Patent Practice, with your hosts Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid from Sagacious IP. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate it and listen to more episodes in the series. For more information about supporting your practice with external resources, write to us at info at sagaciousresearch.com. Please do note that the contents of this podcast were intended for general informational purposes only. The views of the guests and hosts were their personal views and do not represent sagacious IP. The facts of every legal matter are unique, and the content of this podcast should not be considered as offering legal advice for your specific legal situation. The preceding information may be considered attorney advertisement and does not establish an attorney-client relationship.